Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Claire Holly is a songwriter in Los Angeles, but she's originally from Mississippi, and you can hear Mississippi and the Southern traditions of storytelling in her songs. Those songs are literary, playful, meditative, and earthy. Kind of like the conversation you're about to hear. Claire Holly, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast with me. Glad to be here. Uh, I know you are um, originally from Mississippi, but you've been in Los Angeles, California for a, a while now, right? A while, since November of 2003. Uh, and you, But you still don't have your own reality show, is that right? Uh, no, I feel like I'm in one right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, no kidding. Um, so you and I uh, met because we co-taught a creative writing course at, at New College Franklin. Yes. Um, you taught the songwriting portion of things. And I was just amazed at your ability or somebody's ability. Um, it was either yours or the students, but I, but I was amazed at, this, at the, the songs the students wrote, people who had never even thought about writing a song before, you know, that yeah. you were able to, to help them. Uh, do some interesting things and, and write some some really good songs, actually. Oh, I, I some of the songs that came out of New College Franklin, both in 2017 and 2019, were were just stunningly good. Um, mm-hmm. And I, a lot of it, I think, is just when you pair up people together. I mean, I, I won't lie. One, maybe my favorite thing about the class is getting to pair up people. <laughs> um, and and I think groups of three can it's usually three or four can, can be really good. Sometimes two can be maybe, of course you and I pair were paired up as two, but, mm-hmm. but for people who are starting out, maybe three is kind of a nice number because somebody's going to have a good idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just, as, I get just as surprised and excited as, as they do because it's all kind of new for me too. And honestly, at that point, teaching was pretty new. I think I told you that was not something I had envisioned at all doing uh, uh, you know my dad's a teacher uh-huh. uh, but not not me so that was a real it was a confidence booster just to get other people excited about uh writing and taking away some of the you have to be you know a mozart or you have to be a uh, bob dylan or you know just mm-hmm. you just do it yeah try it. um do you, is your songwriting uh do you usually uh collaborate or do you usually write on your own Usually I write on my own, but since I've been out here, I have for sure co-written more than, than before. Um, and I think I attribute part of that to just, this is, this is a town where groups of people make, make movies and people are used to working yeah. in groups on things. So I've enjoyed the collaborating a lot. Yeah. Um, LA, um, is, of course, you've never you've never worked lived and worked in Nashville. I don't guess. No, I almost moved there one time and then and then uh, did not. But but no, I haven't. I've, I've wondered how how being a, a songwriter in LA is different from being a songwriter in Nashville. No, I. My guess is that uh, there's a lot of the same um, issues for everybody in terms of people want to get their songs in TV shows. People want to get their songs in movies. People also just want to write good songs. And I, I, my guess is that in Los Angeles, people are talking about 
movies and TV shows. And in Nashville, my guess is they're talking more about songs and did you get a song cut by so-and-so. And a lot of folks have moved from Los Angeles to Austin and Nashville. I think, I think in some ways, probably the, the live music scene there is a little more friendly to Americana and country and um, alt country than out here. But I think there's a pretty, there's still a pretty strong scene for that out here. Uh huh. Well, so uh, to return to, to songwriting, I know one thing you, um, when you were teaching songwriting to new college students, um, you had some exercises that you get them going on, especially, um, um, and some sort of object, what'd you call it? An object? Uh, object writing exercises. Yeah. I'm just curious. I'm just interested in talking about that a minute. Um, yeah, sure. Of, um, I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've never, I, I loved it as a way of sort of getting people started who don't think of themselves as, as songwriters. And I'm in this podcast, I'm always looking for ways to help people, you know, jumpstart their creativity or whatever. So tell, tell us about that, that, uh, that well, exercise. I know that, um, object writing is where you, you take, um, an object. And I, and I actually want to give a shout out to Rob Seals here. Rob Seals is a friend originally from, Chattanooga and he and I met when my husband was in grad school at UNCG and Rob is a poet and a songwriter and producer and he started a school called the Los Angeles Songwriting School mm-hmm. which is actually in Burbank but um, I, I, I said Rob I'd love to attend your Roots songwriting class which is kind of his his brainchild and it's just a wonderful class and I, so I saw him do this and it's not he's not the only one that's done it um, a guy named Pat Patterson uh, in a book called writing better lyrics talks about object writing i believe but rob would put um several like six or seven you know objects in the middle of the room and and each student was supposed to just take one and you know it, no it, it wasn't as though people fought over there but sometimes you wanted the same one as somebody else and you had to go through <laughs> your second best but you know it might be a pencil or a stick of deodorant or uh, a necklace or any number of things but you had to start writing to this object and first, what you would do is you would you would say, you know, if I'm holding this this sharpie here, I'd say, Sharpie, you are so you are so black. You are your your cover is on your you know you've got your lid on. Can I you know etc. And 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 you you just you don't know what's going to come out. You you tr- you try to not you try to. Um, I actually encourage students to use handwriting because they they don't get a chance to use the delete button on their <laughs> on their on their laptop. So you write like that for 10 minutes and then you afterwards you, you go around and you find one or two lines that, that just maybe speaks to you in some way. And then the second exercise is you write from the object point of view to you. Mm-hmm. What would this, what would this marker, you know, say to me? Um, well, why haven't you washed your hair today? Or, <laughs> um, you know, could you please change um, church or, you know, just something. And so you start to, you start to, realize that it really is conveying more about the person doing the writing than mm-hmm. it is the object. Because if 20 different people would take this black pen and say 20 different things, now there may be some similarities, but the yeah. really, yeah. The, so I, and we talked about this earlier, Jonathan, I mean, that is not normally the way that I get songs written, but I think it's a really great way to get the juices flowing um, in kind of a group setting with, with some of whom who've never tried that writing yeah. song before. Uh, actually, Willie Nelson's song, Hello Walls, is basically a, an object oh. song. You know, he, he was, now I can't remember who his, who his uh, 
publisher was, but basically he locked him in a room and said, don't come out of here until you've written a song. You know, he, he was way behind <laughs> on something. And, uh, and so he just said, hello, Walls, and started, hello, hello, you know, and, uh, yes. and I think that, I think that might've been, might've been his first hit. I, I guess I, I wasn't prepared to tell that story. Obviously, I don't know the details. But. I, no, I, that's just enough. That is just enough. And I mean, lately I feel so much more, if I can just, I'm going to sound so LA. I feel so much freer right now as, but I, I, I'm sorry. And I, I'm not, I'm not you know, in some hippy dippy outfit right now. I'm really wearing a blue dress, but, um, you know, I started playing piano and that has opened up songwriting to feel, um, I'm a little less precious about it. I'll, I'll Mm -hmm. try to write a song, you know, in 15 minutes, you know, my, my nephew was kind of not feeling good the other day. So I was like, I'm just going to get this ukulele and I'm going to write him a song to cheer him up. And I didn't overthink it. And, um, so I I really am a firm believer in um, kind of the quantity quantity just 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 trying to write songs and not being so uh, focused on the one just yeah, you know yeah, yeah. write as much as you can and I know that I, I want to allow that that people have different styles and my husband for instance would would is working has been working on you know this novella and and that's what he works on and uh-huh. I just like to have different things going. I, I think this was from Art and Fear, which is a book you introduced me to, actually. Um, the idea of the, you can tell me if you, if you remember this, somebody who taught a pottery class. Yes. They, okay, why don't you tell the story? Oh, no, you go. No, well, okay, no I want I, you to tell the story because you're the interviewee. Well, I got, I actually went, this is a book called Art and Fear by David Bales and Ted Orland. And Ted Orland is a photographer and I, I, maybe David Bales, I'm not sure, but he may be a ceramic artist. So um, the, this is a chapter called um, Fears About Yourself. I think this is just a wonderfully practical book. Did and you have this queued up for this interview? I did. Yes, oh. I did. Because I, I wanted to be prepared, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the section is, is on page 29. It's called Perfection. And the ceramics teacher announces on opening day that he was dividing the class into two groups. And group A is going to be judged on quantity. And group B is going to be judged on quality. And so while group B was working so hard on one thing and they were, they were told to work on one thing and make it be as good as you can. The other group was just trying to churn out the work. And, and, and he says, um, it says, well, came grading time and a curious fact emerged. The works of highest quality were all produced by the group being graded for quantity. It seems that while the quantity group was busily churning out piles of work and learning from their mistakes, the quality group had sat theorizing about perfection and in the end had little more to show for their efforts than grandiose theories in a pile of dead clay. You know, I, so I just think that's, that's really... I find that really helpful. So I quote that a lot. And again, that's my defense of, of the quantity over quality, but it has been, it has worked. It's worked. Okay. Yeah. You know that uh, when you brought that book to class, I just wasn't ready for it and I didn't really read it because I, I wasn't getting, I didn't feel like I was getting much out of it. And also I was the teacher, not a student. So I didn't have to read it. And, but I came back to it this year and man, it just hit the spot. What a great book. Oh, good. It, it's a time. It's a timing thing, and I, and I realize that not everybody was yeah will be at the right time. But maybe it's something they'll come back to. Yeah, right. I, I'm glad you did. I did. <laughs> I came back to it. 
because there were moments in it that, that meant a lot to me. And, um, but the whole thing just felt like a slog at the time. And, and, but for whatever reason, it, it, I thought it was really great this time. So thank you for your honesty. Me. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> you know, Claire, a podcast like this doesn't work unless you're willing to tell the hard truth. Which, which brings me to some things I wanted to tell about you. No, really. <laughs> Your book choices are slogs, baby. Um, so you said the, the, the little object exercise is not something you really use yourself in your own songwriting. Um, what do you, tell me about your, how, how you make songs happen. I would say most of the time uh, I'll be playing something on the guitar or on the piano or a melody comes to mind, but it's usually an instrument first. And, and, and I, I kind of hear this chord progression and then maybe a melody kind of comes to mind. And I, and I try to see what the music is, what the music is trying to say, if, if there's a story that needs to unfold there. Um, and perhaps there'll be an idea floating around in my head. Oh, I want to kind of come back to that idea. And I'll, so maybe jot something down that is related to that idea. But often I'll realize, no, that's not the, that's not really the, the story that needs to be told. It's something else. And then maybe I'll have to leave it for a few days or a few months or even years uh-huh. and come back. Um, I have found real lately, it has been really nice to come back to songs that I started three or four years ago or even longer. And it's almost like having a co-writer in the room. I'm, 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 oh, coming, that's interesting. I'm coming at the, at the stuff, at the lyrics. I'm uh, more, a little more objectively. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's what I wrote, but I now don't feel the need. Oh, I don't have to keep that verse. Yeah, or yeah, I, yeah. I can just take these two lines and build another song on it. So. Yeah. I love that insight that, that getting that, that time gap is like having a co-writer. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have to, to ask you about something, um, a phrase that sounds like it means something, but I don't know what it is, what it means. And that is when you say you're trying to figure out what the music is trying to say. I mean, yeah. that, that again, what does that mean for somebody? How, how can you explain that to somebody like me who doesn't music is just not my, if I'm not conscious of it being my language, right? I mean, I, I like music, but it, but I don't really know what you mean when you say music trying to say, because you're, you're saying the music leads you to the lyrics, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, well, let's, let's reverse engineer for a second. So if you're watching a movie and the character is thinking back on something or maybe the character is, is just remembering his mom who died and you, and you see a flashback, what kind of music do you imagine for that? I mean, you, you can imagine music that wouldn't work, right? Sure, sure. I mean, can you imagine you know, the surprise symphony working for that? No. I mean, probably not. Um, could, but then there are any, so I think you, un, intuitively you probably do know the answer to that. Like if I played you um, the first two kind of the guitar riff for wedding day, which is, which is, I, I think I may have used that as an example in the class. It was just this droning drop kind of bluesy sound, probably not unlike some, some kind of uh, blues songs that Lucinda Williams was influenced by or that Led Zeppelin was influenced by. And I'm going to say Led Zeppelin because my son is completely in a phase of John Bonham is so great. John Bonham is so great. So I've been listening. He's been playing me some of their songs and they do that kind of thing to sort of drop, drop D kind of chord. So that, that I was playing this on the electric guitar and I just started singing, you know, no wedding bells were ringing out. No wedding bells ringing out. And this story unfolds that was not autobiographical, but it was about a kind of a, a very 
maybe dismal, simple wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think if I played you that riff, and maybe maybe we can ultimately get out an instrument and, and play a few things just to just to try it. You and I gave you a multiple choice, and I said, "Do you think this song is going to be about a dismal wedding, or a circus, or a blah blah blah?" And you would you would make a very good guess. I think yeah, it would. Okay. All right. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what I mean. I mean, I, I certainly understand that music, you know, has an emotional emotional content. But but where does? I mean, I, so I got that. But but where does no wedding bells? But what was the line? There was no there are no wedding bells. <laughs> No, no wedding bells were ringing out. No wedding bells were ringing out. That was it. Okay. I, I do not now. I don't probably in the same way that when you come up with a line for a character, what the, the thing that comes out of the character's mouth, I can't explain why that came out. And it wasn't like it was just all given to me. And I wrote it down where, you know, I had to kind of pull out some of the other lyrics, but that is what came out. And I went with it now. I could have thought the next day, oh, I, I don't think this is really this. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to trust this. I'm going to go with something else. But sometimes you just kind of get a gut feeling like, okay, I'm going to go down this road. I, I guess ultimately I can't explain why those. I, I think it's partly about honesty. Like we were talking about, we got to, we got to be honest. Am I, Am I singing something that is coming from a place that I want to learn more about? It, it, Joe Henry calls it abiding in the mystery. You know, when, when you're when you're handed some some intuitively some line that you don't understand, do you do or do you go, uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. Or do you sit there and kind of let it come and and ask questions about it? Well, why that come and what what's being told here? Yeah, that's interesting. That discomfort is kind of pushing you into the next next line or the next. Yes. Whatever. And I mean, I think uncertainty can be good and it's it can work. It can ultimately work for us when we're working on something, but it's not always comfortable. We don't yeah. know where it's going. Yeah. Um, um, Mary Rose Wood, uh, another Angelino, um, uh, who was a guest earlier, you know, last year on this podcast, she, she wrote the incorrigible children of Ashton place. I don't know if you know those books. Mm-mm. Um, but she talks about, she, she practices yoga and, and, you know, she talks about how the one, a big point of yoga is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that if you, that if a, posi- a yoga position feels good, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, and even even in storytelling, think think about it, have the importance of imbalance. You know, you're, you're trying to if, if your your re, your reader is always or your listener is always looking looking for a for a um, an equilibrium, and if you and you keep them moving forward by not giving them that equilibrium, that discomfort of you know I want to know what's going to happen next, and and if you can withhold that equilibrium until the end, you can keep them moving. That's that's really good. And, and, and what is, I'm quoting my husband, quoting Robert Frost, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. Like there yeah. needs to be this sense that it's surprising you too. And I, I can almost sense it in my body when I have too much of an agenda and I'm trying mm-hmm. to stay in control. There, I mean, there's a certain amount of control. If, if I'm doing a live stream and I'm completely not prepared, yeah. people, are, people are uncomfortable. And they, <laughs> they need to know that I'm kind of in charge here. At the same time, they want me, as David Byrne would say, to watch walk across a tightrope and yeah. cheer me on. But they need to know that I'm I've done it before. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's just that that is a quote stolen right out of his book how music works which i find is one of the better memoirs not that i've read a bunch but i it's really helpful really practical that's a real thick white book he, it, yeah it, it feels like the bible i wonder yeah. if he was making if he told the art director like <laughs> i want people to feel like they are reading the bible when they read yeah. it yeah i've uh, i've seen that. that book has been in my house but i don't know where it is now um, the, okay. So I was, I would like to talk a little bit about, can I talk, talk a, a song through, um, again, I feel like I don't know much about how songs get, actually everything I know about how songs get written, most of it came from you, from our class that we taught together. And Andrew um, Peterson probably too. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, um, but can you talk to me about a I mean, I, I have an idea in my head of a song I want to I want to hear you talk about, but you might have another song that, that you want to walk through about where it came from um, and how it took shape. Okay, I will. I'll go. On, I mean, could it be a new something new, or you want sure. something kind of something kind of? Um, I don't. Okay, it's up to you. Okay, I will talk about. Um, I'll talk about two. Um, one took a long time and one took a very short time. Okay. Um, and, and again, there was that uncertainty. The, the one that didn't take very long, um, I was up in Maine and I was reading in Jeremiah 31 where it says, those who will be scattered will be gathered and they will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. I don't even remember. It probably was the NIV because that was the Bible that my parents gave me. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure the translation, but I just thought in the bounty of the Lord had a really nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I had my guitar there and I, and I started writing things that, you know, rejoicing in the bounty of the Lord, uh, uh, laughing and that, you know, all these different verbs that would go within the bounty of the Lord. And I, you know, and I wrote a couple of verses that, you know, the first verses I've, um, I've wandered from my home. My lips are dry. My feet are worn. My eyes are blinded by the dust clouds in the road. And it, and it's, it actually really does sound like a pretty cliche thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, uh, when I played it for, um, oh, and, and of course I got the guitar. It was a very simple kind of like, um, I'll have it here. You know, it was just a capote on the fifth fret. Just kind of a, almost like a Carter family. da I'm believing in the bounty of the Lord. Now, I, had, I thought that was a pretty, oh, it was an okay song. I didn't really think much of it at all. And, though, and at the time, this was 1998, 20-something years ago. Well. I was recording a, a CD of hymns, and maybe that was why I was trying to write a hymn, uh-huh. um, because I'd been listening to a bunch of them. And so I took this song to John Plymouth in the studio, and, and he's like, no, I I think that's pretty good. And, and we brought in a mandolin player, an upright bass player, and something happened when we recorded it with, with those two guys. It just, it, it had a nice little thing about it. And I can't explain that because I'm telling you, in, in my mind, it was just a little, it was just kind of another song. The mm-hmm. other one I was going to talk about was called Billy and Me, which was on a second. Wait, back up, back up just yeah. a little bit. I'm sorry. No, Because no. uh, I'm going to ask you about that. Yeah. You said this was a song that you couldn't hear when you when you played it for yourself, you couldn't hear that it was something special. Is that what you're saying? And 
that is exactly what I'm saying. And that, that sounds kind of presumptuous to decide what, what of your things are special. And that's a tricky thing. And I don't mean to play God here, but the, the, this is a song that people have connected with. Yeah, I love that song. It's, it's, you know, people ask to hear it a lot. And why? I mean, I, again, I thought it was just like, it was just kind of another song, but for whatever reason, it maybe had the right blend of kind of, there was some universal truths there. And then there was just kind of, I was just trying to respond to that line that I liked in Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't afraid to kind of get in touch with my country roots. Like, I think you really, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I kind of got them. <laughs> well, I mean, th- that song sounds true to me, What whatever that means, you know. I love that song. But anyway. Oh. Well, thank you. Good job writing that song. <laughs> it was all Jeremiah. It was all Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a song. It was all Jeremiah. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. I want to hear that one soon. Well, and actually, no, the other, the other one is one I just was writing today. Um, and again, I was, as I said earlier, um, I've been playing piano. I've had a lot more time to play piano during quarantine. Mm-hmm. I don't have a real one, but I'm, I'm, we're going to get an acoustic one from my, from Mississippi and bring it back here probably next month. But so I've had this electric piano here. Uh-huh. And I, I've been trying to write songs about my, my upbringing in Mississippi, like almost like if I was doing, I'm probably too young to write a memoir, but if I was do, if I was doing a memoir in a CD form, what would those songs sound like? And so it's been so, it's been really fun to write because honestly, songwriting is not always fun. It is grueling and you're, you're doubting yourself a lot, but for whatever reason, writing about, my childhood has been a fun thing, maybe because there's a lot, there are so many memories there. So I, I started writing a song about, um, about my mom who always took photographs mm-hmm. and, um, and cause I've been going through all of her photos, um, lately in these boxes. And I came across one of these four guys who were p- doing work on some carpentry work for them. And she was so famous for, not famous, she was just infamous for stopping people and taking their picture. And I, <laughs> really? And, and, I, so, and, I, and the reason I say I took that for granted is I was reading in a Eudora Wealthy book of her photographs, and she gives the introduction. And, she, and I realized Eudora Wealthy and my mom were kind of doing the same thing. They were just taking pictures of ordinary people. But I complete, when Eudora does it, oh, it's amazing. But when my mom does it, it's just it's my mom. <laughs> but I was able to, to actually look at these photos and, and appreciate her more. So the, the you know, I don't, I don't want to read the whole song for you, but you know, the first verse just starts, um, I took you for granted and your eye behind the frame, um, a camera in hand for every wedding, every game, blah, 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 blah. And then I, I go on and do mention a little something about Eudora. And then the last verse, I talk about this photo of the four, of the four carpenter guys. I'm going to show it to you, Jonathan, right now. All right. Too bad y'all can't see this, but here they are. These are just these four guys, (laughs) you know, um, and where they got, you know, dip in their mouth and all this. I I, I couldn't figure out how to put that in the verse, but (laughs) you'll just have to believe me that they do. But anyway, so it's just, I I think a lot of it is just kind of going with where, uh, whimsical going with wherever your, your whim, you know, your whimsy, is that a word? Dr. Yeah. Rogers, um, you know, take you. Yeah. And, I, I just love that idea of your mom taking pictures and stopping people and making them slow down and say, 
Um, yeah, I don't know if you think, it, you know, hey, four guys, I don't know if you think anything you're doing here is special, but I want to I commemorate this. Um, exactly. And when you commemorate things, you, you ennoble them, right? You, you, you recognize uh, what's meaningful there. Well, so, see, that, that's a very, that's a really good way to say it. And that's actually a kinder way to look at who my mom was. I just saw it as she was always inter in the, in the negative way. She was always interrupting moments because she yeah. wanted to, to catch it. Yeah. And, and there's a price you pay. Are you entering the moment when you're taking those photos? But, but now I, 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 I see it more. It's, it's, it's both. It's she's, yeah. she's, she's being an artist and she's, capturing a moment is she, is she still around she is not she's not okay no so she's not still taking pictures or she may be in the new heavens and the new earth <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> but, but she she died june 3rd 2013 oh okay yeah um and did you grow up in jackson yes and so did you run into eudora welty sometimes i did one time um at the Jitney 14, the Jit, if y'all know the Jitney jungle, the Jitney jungle. <laughs> I think people who don't live in Mississippi, I've heard about the Jitney jungle, but I think you have to live in Mississippi to know about the Jitney jungle. Okay. The Jitney jungle is a grocery store chain and, and the Jitney 14 was a particular Jitney in the chain that was on, um, you know, fortification and state street, like something kind of near downtown. And I went in there for some reason. And my dad said, do you know who that is? And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> and 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 she what I just remember was how tall she was or how really she, she seemed to me very tall but that may have been because I just you know she has a large presence but she it, I, actually ironically she was very just herself and it wasn't like she was surrounded by people trying to get her autograph or she wasn't yeah. you know there with sunglasses on and you know mm -hmm. incognito she was just getting something probably getting yeah. some food like anybody yeah. else friend of mine was at the Green Hills Kroger uh, buying a, a uh, uh, birthday card for her husband. And um, also in the aisle was Allison Krauss. And oh. she said, well, my husband loves Allison Krauss. So she said, Allison Krauss, could you sign my husband's birthday card? So that year he got his, his birthday card was signed by his wife and Allison Krauss. <laughs> How did Allison react to that? Was she oh, she was apparently oh. very friendly about it. Very, very welcoming of, of uh Oh my goodness. Isn't that sweet? That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, the, would you play a song? I, I just want to hear you brought your guitar. I want to hear you play a song. You, you, if you're all right with that. Well, Oh, sure. And I, I did want to say that I like that. Uh, should I play the song that we wrote or should I just play? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I, I don't know. Let's see. Am I, well, I remember it. All right, y'all. Here we go. This is a song that I wrote with, uh, with Jonathan Rogers. <laughs> and I have to say, um, my dad would have, he's no longer living. He would have loved this song. Um, loved it. And if I, if I mess it up, it is not Jonathan Rogers' fault. He wrote, <laughs> so I want to just say that Jonathan gave me like, 
18 verses or something. Or like, <laughs> We're going to write about timber rafters. I said, okay. Okay. It's, so it's, I, it's, it's amazing that there's not a whole genre of timber rafting ballads <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Should, well, maybe we should do a whole album where you should just invite your Nashville friends and all write timber rafting songs. That's but a good this, is, this is called um, The Fairy Keeper's Daughter. And I printed out the lyrics, okay? There's a wonderful little uh, rift in here that I... That I that I don't can't remember, but it was a really it was a really hooky riff that I can't remember now. But when I record, I'll do it. I sink out the bottomlands along the river green. He loved the fairy keeper's girl. He called her sweet Eileen. When he asked Eileen to marry him, she turned her head aside. You're too poor and I'm too young I cannot be your bride So Ison joined the timber crew Some 30 miles upstream He worked and drank Tried not to think About the girl I leave You got time on the timber raft Thank you, Stanley Ison found that all his thoughts Went back to sweet Eileen she must be a mother now, be somebody's wife. And so I some resigned himself to a timber after life. And then one year the waters rose and ice and rode downstream. He passed the ferry landing, there he saw Eileen. She stood alone on the river bank. A lonesome book in her eyes, but the rushing water rolled him along, and he disappeared out of sight. He thought about the past, the day she turned aside, but now he thinks he's seen a sign from that look in her eyes. So he floated to the sawmill beside the salty sea. He sold his raft and took the cash and headed back upstream. She was standing at the landing like a timber after's tree. He said, If you ain't married, dear, come away with me. She cried and said, Oh, I saw. I'm not young anymore. He said it don't matter none, cause honey, I ain't poor. And then there's a really cool instrumental that'll end the song. We'll hear it another time. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Claire. That's so good. Thanks for bringing that to life. <laughs> I have to say, I kind of like when it says, and so I sum. <laughs> it's, it, and so I sum resigned himself. You know, it's not often that you could use the word I sum. That's right. Uh, well, I, um, uh, I mean, it was about 13 uh, stanzas too short, in my opinion. But yeah. other than that, that was, that was really good. <laughs> um, all right. So the, uh, I, I forgot to, to warn you about this question. Um, but uh -huh. I always end these conversations with, with this question. Who are the writers who make you want to write? Eudora Wealthy, for sure. Yeah. Um, and can you tell me about that? What, what about Eudora Welty um, 
makes you want to sit down and, and write something? She has this, to me, wonderful combination of being hilarious mm-hmm. and very um, heart, uh, very serious in in the sense of like she takes human emotion seriously Mm. and you know a story like um the whistle i wouldn't say that's a funny short story but um it's very you feel for these characters she has a way of writing that makes you i think feel for her characters deeply um and i i have to say her her book one writer's beginnings which of course started as a group of lectures a group of lectures. She doesn't really lecture. She just talks. But um, <laughs> and they started as a group of talks um, up at Harvard. And um, I highly recommend the CDs. Um, they're just they're just so entertaining. So I, I think she she remained really humble throughout her life. She she I was she I think she said I was I was awarded too much. You know if you if you go to her if you go to the wealthy house in Jackson. They found all her awards in her closet. Huh. And I'm not saying it means that every award you get, you need to go put in your closet. Maybe some of them you need to hang on your wall for encouragement. But she was just a very um, humble person and had a group of friends that she kept up with, you know, regularly and ate and drank with. And yeah. so she's one. Um, I, I love, I love Middlemarch. And I, I'm not saying I want to be George Eliot, but um, that book wow um to write about to write about characters in that way with so much um she was just brilliant yeah i'll um yeah Uh, that but 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 um those are those are two writers that come to mind what about Um, songwriters who are the songwriters that make you want to write paul simon um the the this on the album graceland to me, one of the best lines, you know, the Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar because you know he's in an airplane. Because you, yeah. have, how, how else would you know he's so? Um, I, I think, you know, I love uh, Stevie Wonder's voice. May makes me really happy. Yeah. Um, so, so, so his certain singers do that. Um, uh, Joni Mitchell, you know, is is one that that I listen to a lot, and um, I still do. Um, um, lately, uh, uh, lately I listen to a lot of, um, soundtracks and I enjoy, you know, hearing film scores. Um, and, uh, I like the natural. Really? You just like, you, you listen to film scores just to, yes. to do what? Like as you go about your day or, or do you sit down and listen to film scores? Well, well, <laughs> That's, it would probably be nice if I just sat there and gave them all my attention. But for instance, if I'm going through a lot of photographs of yeah. my, of my moms and, and trying to throw away or save or put in categories, it's really nice to listen to instrumental music. Yeah. Um, so, um, and you mentioned the national, you like the national. I do. And my son, we got, we got Jack. Uh, this is the son who likes uh, John Bonham so much. We got him a record player because uh, you know, to be able to listen to music in your room without having a phone or a computer in there. So you have yeah. a record player and he has really gotten into it. So he, he bought the national, um, the song with, I need my girl. Uh, it's such, a, need, such a sweet song. <laughs> I need to link to your cover of, uh, that national song from the warrior, uh, that you did in, in lady lodge. Yeah. Start a war that, yeah. 
uh, I love that song and I love your version of it. Well, thank you. I, 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 I liked hearing what you said about the movie. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a movie. Um, all right, Claire, thank you for being here. It's, it's always so much fun to talk to you. I hope we get to talk again soon. I hope so too. All right, all see right. you later. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song Too Good as part of this podcast. Visit JessRayMusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs. Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.